MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how you can excel your real estate business by making a decision. My guest in this episode is Tamar Moore. Tamar is an entrepreneur, investor, and proponent of intentional lifestyle design. With nearly 20 years under her belt, working in the startup and small business arena, Tamar took the plunge to both launch her own business and invest in others. She often says that she is the CEO of her dreams and consistently focuses on ways to maximize business opportunities and generate enough passive income to be financially free and curate the lifestyle that she and her family desires. Tamar has been investing in real estate since she was 19, purchasing her first townhouse when she was a sophomore in college and has owned rental properties for more than 15 years, sight unseen on auction to fix and flips to large-scale renovation projects. She has a keen eye for evaluating deals for maximum returns. More recently with her company, the Marotta Group, her work has focused on the acquisition and underperforming multifamily and commercial properties where she can work with her team to stabilize the assets and accelerate returns for her investors. Before becoming a serial entrepreneur, Tamar was a successful executive in the startup arena. As chief operating officer of a New York-based regulatory solutions company in the fintech space, she helped grew the business into a multi-million dollar company. Later, as president and COO of one of the largest real estate brokerages in Washington, she was integral in guiding the company through a large acquisition and building out new profit centers for the business. In 2017, she partnered to acquire the fitness shop and established high-end specialty fitness equipment retailer in Washington State and is currently working on the chain's strategic rebranding and revitalization. She's also the host of Investing for Life, a recently launched podcast focusing on entrepreneurship, investing, and intentional lifestyle design. If you're interested in joining our investors group, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form and or email me at info cashflowninja.com to start the discussion to see if you're a good fit for our group. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. 
Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Tomorrow, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure to connect uh, with you and excited to dive into our conversation today. Uh, before we get started, uh, can you share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners? I would be happy to. Um, let's see. So I have a background of 20 plus years in small business and startups, and I love startup culture. And the five years prior to me leaving the corporate world, um, I was in the executive suite and helped to grow businesses quite a bit. From that standpoint, I reached a point where uh, years before that, I just knew that I wanted to start my own company. I thought, if I can do this for somebody else, if I can help them grow their brand and their business and help them move forward their goals and their life goals, then I can do this for myself. Um, I have that, like, I guess class A type personality, whatever they call it. I'm a super go-getter, super overachiever. And I just, whatever I go after, I usually achieve, right? So I kind of set the path for um, doing bigger things. About four or five years ago, my husband and I started doing single family investing, sight unseen on auction, turned those into rentals. We included our whole family in it, our kids, we'd all renovate those. And um, we were both working full-time jobs at that time. And almost, uh, actually it was two years ago this month, uh, December, um, two years ago, I just made the decision that um, I was ready to be the CEO of my own dreams. And I was ready to move on to some other avenues. I left my corporate gig. I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. I just knew that from an investing standpoint, I wasn't going to reach our financial goals fast enough with single family. And, um, and I was ready to just be on my own. So I started doing some business investing. And then I also started my multifamily syndication business. And, um, and I always point out when I'm interviewed that this is a really key point. I made a decision to start an investing business. And it wasn't going to be some little hobby. It was going to be something that I grew an empire and I was going to retire my husband in a couple of years. So that's what my journey I've been working on the past couple of years. And um, I went from three or four or five doors. I can't remember what we had at that time to about 115 doors within a 14 month period. And so I've picked up my first four apartment complexes in the last year and a half here. Yeah, it's so true what you just said of making that decision and then figure, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to get there, right? And that's yes. the journey. That's the fun part of it. Yeah. Um, but you have to make a decision that this is, this is where, this is the outcome that I'm looking for. And this is the end goal. Like this is where we're going to. This is what yeah. our life looks like is now you just reverse engineer it and you create a life by design rather yeah. than by default. I'm a big proponent of that. I live life very out loud and adventure is like my number one theme in life, adventure and love. And I can't get enough of either one of them. And I just love having a lifestyle where we can pick up and travel wherever we want to. And we're not entirely there because I, I homeschool two out of three of my kids. Next year, I'll homeschool three of them. Um, my husband still has his W-2 job, but hopefully, well, we set a date for 2020 for him to be leaving that so that we can be a little bit more mobile and unconventional and just live life and out loud in a way such that our family can be an example for other families that, you know, life is amazing and you can make whatever out of it that you want to. And, and we're doing that right now. 
Investing. You uh, touched on that you uh, you started as a single family in, uh, investor, but you've transitioned. You're investing in businesses now. You're investing in multifamily. What yeah. is your philosophical approach to building wealth and investing? Uh, what's the framework? Is there a check- checklist that you operate from? And how do you analyze some deals? Because I'm sure you get a, cl- a lot across your desk, right? So what's kind yeah. of the quick checks that says this deserves uh, to be looked into a little bit deeper? And this is obviously not fitting my criteria. Um, yeah. going to be put to the side. So for wealth building, I look at both net worth and passive income. And I always use air quotes with the passive income because when you have a multifamily investing business, it's not entirely passive unless you are truly a passive investor in somebody else's deals. That said, I measure both of those on usually like a, a biweekly um, time frame where I'm looking at how our assets growing. Um, so I have a net worth goal and I have a passive income goal. Um, Mostly I focus on the passive income goal with income producing properties and some of, we also do note investing. So um, with different businesses and such. Um, And so I have stream of real estate income and non-real estate income. And um, I modeled that out for a number of years down the road and then realized that at some point a certain note or a certain property is going to be no longer. So I have at least a horizon to figure out when I need to replace certain income producing assets. Um, For multifamily specifically, I usually model properties out for a 10 year hold because I do say that I'm a buy and hold investor. However, I'm also very opportunistic. And so for instance, I'll model a property out for a 10 year hold because I want to ensure that it can weather any sort of storm that's coming up with our economy. And, And if there is, if we have been in the middle of a housing bubble or whatever, and there's going to be a crash, I need to make sure that it has longevity and we put a long-term debt on that as well. However, um, you know, if I find that a particular market is hot that I'm investing in and we can double our investors' money in, you know, 16, 18 months, I'm probably going to sell that asset. So I like to keep a continual pulse on what's going on with the different assets that I'm investing in to make sure that, you know, we're getting the most bang for our buck and so can the individuals that invest with us as well. Um, what Let's see, what do I look for in, um, um, I have been investing multi, mostly in value add multifamily properties up to this point, up to $4 million. Um, and I'm slowly growing that size of asset that I'm investing in as our net worth grows, as my experience grows, as my team grows, as all these things, because I never want to feel like, um, I'm pushing my, I love pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, but I don't want to push myself so far outside of my comfort zone that my business plan is going to crumble and I'm not growing too fast. So I'm very conscious of that as well. Um, When I say value add, I've done rent repositions purely and I've done um, very major renovations to different properties. I'm, I'm in the middle of two of those currently. Um, and I've done a combination of rent reposition and with a rehab as well on a couple of different properties. Um, and so I manage all the contractors or do that through my property manager, but you can certainly ask more specific questions about that. <laughs> yeah. Just on the property side, what type of properties are you looking at? What type of properties do you buy and mm-hmm. what markets are you operating in and, and or looking at? Yeah. So, so far I have bought a 15 unit, a 16 unit, 26 unit, and a 56 unit. 
I have two of those. The smaller properties are in Eastern Washington and those were my first deals. So they were nice to, you know, they were under a million dollars, close to a million dollars in purchase price. Um, and then worked my way up after that. Um, the, one of my properties is an hour south of where I live, south of Tacoma, Washington. And then one of them is south of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, they're usually, let's see, most of them are built. I think I have a couple that were built in the seventies. I'd say like sixties to seventies is, is about the time frame. So they're class C properties, mm -hmm. um, that, that need a lot of TLC. I'm, what? um, I'm also heading to Arizona in a couple of weeks after the new year to go check out, you know, like other markets that I have some connections within. So sometimes I just, I, I wait to hear of an opportunity that comes my way. I investigate it a little bit. And if I end up with some new connections in a particular area, I'll just go fly out there and get my face in front of people, have a great conversation with them and see where it leads me. And um, so that combined with doing research and different MSAs to kind of see where I want to go. But I do like Washington State. It's my backyard. I know it really well. I can have anything in terms of resources that I need you know, super fast because I'm well connected here. So in order for me to look elsewhere, um, I do need to do that groundwork ahead of time to make sure that I feel comfortable enough that I can achieve my goals somewhere else. Let's touch on, you mentioned um, you structure your deals a, a certain way so mm -hmm. that it, it can weather storms and recessions mm -hmm. and so forth. What's your view uh, what are you seeing in the market that you're operating in now from a real estate standpoint? And mm -hmm. then overall, I'm sure you keep a close eye on the economy as well. And yeah. cycles, where do you think we are? What are some of the things that you're seeing out there? Well, the biggest thing that I'm seeing where I've been looking is that um, sellers are, um, for lack of a better word that I can't come up with right now, a little bit cocky. still. like they, they want to get the most bang. I think sellers always want to get the most bang for their buck, but I feel like we're at a point right now where people have been throwing their money at income producing assets so readily that they think they can get super duper top dollar. So it's a combination of that. And then um, the our interest rates, of course, are rising. So even just a year ago or six months ago when I was underwriting properties, I could use, um, you know, upper fours for uh, an interest rate for underwriting. And now I'm underwriting with five and a half percent interest rate um, to be safe. Um, even though I might be able to get a little bit lower than that if I get an agency debt on on the property. Um, and then, of course, the super condensed cap rates. And everybody's talking about that when we have rising interest rates and condensed cap rates, it makes for an interesting storm with multifamily and commercial properties because it just makes it harder to finance them. Um, so I am try to be as conservative. I think that word is so overused being conservative in your underwriting, but I, I do the best job that I can to make sure that I'm um, preparing for the rising interest rates and whatever's going to happen there. I want to make sure that I want to have that same interest rate for as long as possible and not being having to refinance in five years or in four years or in seven years. So I don't want a note coming due in, you know, anywhere past a year or two from now. If I'm doing a, a value add reposition, I might put bridge debt on it because I know what the potential of that property is. Um, but I don't want a note coming due in five years when we don't know where the market's going to be. So I'd much rather put longer term debt on it. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because uh, I think a lot of folks are, um, are thinking there's a, there might be a storm coming. And just uh, alluding to what you're saying, there's a lot of people are seeing um, the exact same thing. Let's talk about your transition, because I think we hear a lot where someone goes from single family to multifamily. The process yeah. uh, is, well, let's just say the details is lost in the discussion sometimes where you made a decision. You've, you've transitioned over, um, you developed investors. How, how did you find them? Was that just a network? Was that coworkers? Was that, um, events that you put on? Talk a little bit about how you grew that. And as you were building your track record and then transitioning and keep on growing it. Um, and, and where do you continue to, to, to find folks, uh, to, to raise money for deals? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think anybody who's moving into purchasing larger assets that wants to partner with others, that's one of their key questions is how I'm going to find the people to do it with. And, and I tend to jump into things when I don't have all the answers because I love that. I love doing stuff I've never done before. It's exciting to me. It's just part of the game. So I jumped in before I ever talked to one single person about it. (laughs) I got my first deal under contract. I hadn't had a single conversation because I thought it was going to be longer down the road that I actually was able to acquire my first property. But I'm, since I'm a massive action taker, it just happens super fast. But, um, you know, the first deal we had, uh, my father-in-law, <laughs> there you in go. It. we had a couple of my husband's friends or coworkers. And at some point I reached like, it was only probably seven investors that I needed on a deal. It wasn't a lot, but I said, Oh gosh, I need to start going to these investor clubs because I wasn't really going to to them regularly. So I started going to those like crazy and making connections. And I found, um, made some new friendships there and found some new partners. And, and now they become good, you know, friends that we talk to about real estate all the time. I've been working on this process for, uh, well, close to two years and I've really been able to see the fruits of my labor. So, um, it's a combination of tons of things and there's no one right answer, but I do things like go to networking events. I do public speaking at local um, events. And so I've done that four or five different times in the last year. Um, I've been on different podcasts, probably 25 plus, and it's not like I'm pitching myself. It's just, you know, sometimes word gets around for different guests. And so I get people reaching out via that. Um, I have a podcast myself. I do newsletters quarterly. I do weekly email letters for my um, for my podcast. Um, I send wacky gifts in the mail to my investors. I do coffees and lunches, and <laughs> I'm talking to people all day long. Um, so it's a combination of of a bunch of different things in my marketing plan, and I'm probably leaving out five or six different things that I'm just not thinking of right now. But there's no one thing that you can attribute it to. You really have to be consistent in just getting out and talking to as many people as possible. I will tell you that I don't think I've ever directly asked one person, will you invest in this deal? It's just, I I, I don't know about anybody else listening, but that's not a direct question I've asked. I just say, this is what I'm doing. And then they, sometimes like I'll speak at an event and then people reach out to me afterwards and want to sit down for a cup of coffee. And that might be three or four months later before they reach out. And then it might be three or four or six months later, a year later that a deal comes along that they feel is the right deal for them to invest in. So, um, I've been having fun building my network. It's not, um, it's not an easy thing to do if you don't like talking to people, (laughs) 
<laughs> I have no problem with that. I really like people. So that's really great. But consistency is really key. And I, I will say it's really interesting. I, I listened to an interview yesterday morning during my exercise time with LeBron James. Some people say he's, you know, the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, definitely one of the best on the court right now. And I told my son, who's a big sports guy, I said, Ethan, you know what's really interesting in this interview with LeBron James? And he goes, what? I said, you have to listen to the words people use consistently. Sometimes mm -hmm. people will say words, whether they're positive or negative, and usually you can tell if a person is positive or negative, but the word that LeBron used no less than four times in his interview was consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And consistency for him is with his stretching and his sleep and his, um, water intake and the fuel that he provides with his body and his training and his mental game. He mentioned that as well. And I thought that just really resonated with me, that whole word of consistency, because it's whatever we want to do in life. If we're not consistent in the things we need to do to get us to that place, it won't, the, the fruits of our labor, they just won't pay off. You're listening to Tomorrow More on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back afterward from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. You're listening to tomorrow more on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and I'm back to our interview. It's so true because uh, I'm a former athlete too. And then obviously being uh -huh. doing what I'm doing now, a lot of folks usually ask too, and, and just from studying and and talking to a lot of folks such as yourself, the Cashflow Ninjas, and there's no, there's no secret sauce. There's no, you know, this person's going to share this one thing and then obviously, and the next thing, you know, I'm, I'm building a rocket ship next to Elon and I'm going to Mars, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's small little things that are done consistently daily over yeah. and over and over. And you used LeBron as an example, Kobe Bryant is the same, Michael, all those guys and, and across sports, I'm sure Tom Brady fits in there too, all yeah. these folks. Um, and, and that's why I think it's very important to, it ties into what you said earlier, but making that decision of becoming pro, you know, turning pro. Mm -hmm. Who's it? Is it Steven Pressfield that wrote that book? I'm drawing a blank right now. I have read that one. Yeah, there's there's a book about turning pro, um, and uh, I, I'm I, I'm not sure, don't remember who it is, but that's basically the gist of it too: is making that decision that you're going to become a professional yeah. at what you're doing, at, such as an investor, and then consistently doing the things that a professional in that field needs to do to eventually yes. be able to get to get that those outcomes. Good, super good point. And that's, I reflect a lot. I, I spend a lot of reflection time every day on myself as a person and also, you know, parenting and as a, a business owner and many other things. But with my business, I'm thinking, what are those things I need to be doing better to make, um, make things just go smoother, make processes easier to have a better experience for the people that are working with me? Um, to cause less stress in life, you know, mm -hmm. like getting the details taken care of. 
And um, yeah, you, you just have to be reflecting on that consistently to be like I and and that's I think sometimes you know, real estate can get a bad rap as a real estate professional or what I don't know. Sometimes it's cheesy or whatever, but it's true. If you treat it like a professional and you go at it with integrity and you treat it like a business, um, it is a business. So you got to figure out the ways to get it done in the most efficient and effective ways possible. Yeah. And the other thing too, regardless of what industry you're in, Mm -hmm. um, if you have to be cognizant that you're going to be up against folks that are professionals and treating Mm -hmm. it as a business. So sometimes being a weekend warrior, you're going to run up and compete for properties against folks that do things consistently over and over every day and treat it Mm. as a business. So absolutely big, big takeaway for me in our discussion today already Mm. that the other question that I had is uh, there might be a lot of listeners listening and saying, you know, wherever they are, eventually they want to transition. As a syndicator, there's a, there's a lot of legal things around this. Maybe I just wanted to pick your brain of some of the things that you uh, that you did or what you know now. Uh, if you'd gone back, what you would how you would set these things up a little bit differently? Yeah, um, I approached this whole syndication game from um, I felt from a good place because the one of the prior roles that I had was um, the COO of a regulatory solutions company on Wall Street. And we literally took attorneys out that had like three or four degrees um, out of law school and we'd train them on regulations and we'd put them in the world's largest financial institutions and helped fix regulatory problems, hurdles, especially as related to technology within the banks. So that was a lot of talk right there, like (laughs) super confusing, but... Uh, And I I didn't do any of that stuff. I helped run the business. But what I did learn along the way was all the language associated associated with regulations and with financial institutions and with attorneys and all of these things I was not interested in. I loved growing the business. But then when I started this new business, that's why when I heard the word syndication like four years ago, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound too unfamiliar to me. I think I can manage some of that stuff. And so some people might feel a little bit intimidated by, you know, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, all the filings that have to do with that. But the reality is if we surround ourselves with professionals that know what they're doing, um, it, it's really up to you to just learn some of the language so you understand and you know what questions to ask. And sometimes you don't know what questions to ask. So you just ask them, what questions am I missing? What do other people ask you that I haven't asked you yet? And I love asking that question because undoubtedly they'll give me a couple things that I hadn't thought of before. And the first time you do it, it's never going to be easy. But the second time it's going to be easier because you'll see either what you did right or you didn't do right. So um, all I know is that when, when I did my first one, I wanted to make sure I was doing all of that correctly. Because when you're working on syndications, if you don't file, if you don't do that correctly, you can... It's a federal crime is really what it comes down to. And they won't just come after the property. They can come after all your personal assets. And I was like, I don't want to lose my house. I love my house. I love where I've raised my family. So I'm going to make sure I do everything I can to do this correctly. So, you know, I just started talking to different attorneys. um, And uh, and the first one that I talked to was referred by somebody else that had done a ton of syndication. So I was like, okay, well, they seem like they're doing a great job. So I might as well use this person. Since then, I think I've learned some things that I would do differently. 
Um, some of them is within the setup that we do within the, like the structure of the LLCs, maybe having a separate LLC within um, the general partnership versus the limited partnership within, you know, the entity that owns the asset itself. Um, so you want to probably talk to your attorney about what sort of, you know, uh, setup. I, I'm spacing on the word right now, but what sort of setup you should have for the legal entity. Um, and what else would be good to know about that? What questions do you have? Ask me some questions. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, just so there's a group of investors too that's investing in another deal, for instance, you would put, is there, yeah, and again, you're not a lawyer, yeah, <laughs> but in your experience a from a structural standpoint, that's yeah. a good, po- uh, that's a good position or, or point to discuss with an attorney to see what makes the most sense for yeah. what structure the deal is set up to be. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So you could have, um, so if you have five limited partners or 105 limited partners, um, they can all invest as their own entities, like their, their name, or they can invest within their 401k or their self-directed IRA, or they can invest with an LLC. So all of your, um, your partners that come in and work with you do have them talk with a professional for sure on what they think is going to be best for their own asset protection. Mm-hmm. But for sure, you want to have an LLC set up for this particular asset that you're purchasing as a group. Um, and so then within there, and I'm sure some of your listeners are far more sophisticated than what I'm saying right now, but just for the point of repetition, because repetition is key, um, you know, your attorney will help you set up an operating agreement. They'll help you set up a subscription agreement as well for purchasing the membership units of that LLC. Um, and they'll also set up your prospectus or your, your PPM, your offering memorandum, different words for that, um, as well as do all the, the filing. And the filing is not just with the SEC, but it's also with each individual state. So if I just have investors in one state, I only need to file with one state. But if I have investors in 13 different states, I think it's called like blue sky, I forget what it's called, something like that. There's something the word blue, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you do have to file in each individual state. So make sure that you're, when you're talking to your attorney about that, you say you provide them with a proper list of, um, you know, all the different states that your, your investors are coming from as well, because those are very important rules. Absolutely. And you touched on the operating agreement. It's also very important for any business to have language and and have uh, stuff in the po- uh, referring to it as stuff, but things in there that if 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 for instance things happen to different partners, life yes. happens, right? Bad things happen to good people every yeah. single day. And for one or other reason, the other person has to pull out, or they no longer want to be in there. There has to be firm language in an operating agreement agreed yes. upon all parties before, because that's going to just help all of these things move along much more efficiently. Very true. In addition to that, I would say that um, not only is it in there, but have that conversation with your investors up front, because in the back of their head, they might not be asking you that question right now, but in the back of their head, they might be thinking, what if something happens? How can I get out of this if my, um, heaven forbid, like my spouse dies and I need some money or something, Mm -hmm. you know, like a life emergency happens. Um, and so 
have those conversations with people, understand the language that's in there yourself as somebody that's putting together one of the deals and with somebody who's investing in these deals so that you get that. Usually it is the case that limited partners do not have um, very much say at all in what happens. They're trusting the managing member, the general Mm -hmm. partnership to make sure they are making the right decisions in which this business, it is a business entity, will survive and thrive. Um, And so, and, you know, the financing institutions want to make sure that the limited partners don't have a say because they don't want a hundred people voting on something. They want a couple people that they know have experience. So um, usually the things that the limited partners have a say on is um, sometimes not even the sale of the asset or refinance of the asset. Again, banks don't want that. Um, But if there's going to be any changes in the operating agreement that will affect the distributions to members, um, or the, the types or the quality or the, you know, the ratio of distributions, that is something that, w- that, that would go to a vote. But it's very few things. So as again, as a syndicator or as a limited partner, ask those types of questions so that you understand it going in. And, um, and then, you know, as a syndicator, make sure you can communicate that to the people that you're partnering with. Absolutely. This is not a D. Uh, do do it yourself. No. <laughs> uh, 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 territory. You definitely need some help from good professionals to be a part of your team when you um, when you do syndications or are involved with deals such as what we're uh, discussing here. Um, right. Now, changing gears a little bit. One habit I've observed from very wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently (laughs) studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? Uh, This is like one of my favorite questions because I'm such a super nerd and I love studying. Um, I've probably read close to 60 books this year. Um, I started off the year doing some biographies and autobiographies of successful entrepreneurs, which I always love doing that. And just like leaders, I love biographies and autobiographies. So I'm always picking up one of those. Um, This year, a different challenge that I've gotten into is digging into the classics. So anything from Socrates and ancient Greek wisdom Mm -hmm. to more recent wisdom, you know, the most brilliant minds from 50 years ago to 3000 years ago, that's my new mission for like this year and the upcoming year to dig into some of those. I just read Uncle Tom's Cabin by um, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Is that her name? Yes. Um, I'm reading the narrative of Frederick Douglass, an American slave right now. So I'm digging into some American history. Um, And then I'm also reading a lot of ancient history right now with one of my sons. So we're digging through some of that. So I like to pepper that kind of stuff in with some, you know, um, entrepreneurship stuff, autobiographies and, uh, Sometimes I read on real estate, but I usually don't anymore because I just listen to podcasts when I'm out exercising to learn about that stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. You can turn any place into a classroom, right? Yeah. So I'd say probably spend between one and three hours a day studying in some form or another. Fantastic. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just Mm. money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? 
Oh, another great question. Um, top three for me that I can think of at this moment are integrity. Always have your integrity because when you lose it, it's hard to get back. Be true to yourself and be true to other people. Um, one of my biggest themes this year is lead with love. And I think about uh, there's lots of different ways to be a leader in business. And um, it's not always love, but I try the best possible to lead from a place of love and looking out for the interest of other people, not just the interest of myself and, um, and fill your life with adventure because you only get one chance. <laughs> and I try to fill my life with as much adventure as possible and just have fun and smile a lot. It's uh, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. How can my listeners learn more about you? Uh, stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with and where can they learn about your company and also your uh, fantastic podcast? Yeah, you bet. Uh, my podcast is called Investing for Life. It's about the crossroads of entrepreneurship, investing and intentional lifestyle design. And that's at investingforlifepodcast.com. And my website is Marota Group, M-A-R-O-T-A group.com. And I, I post occasionally on LinkedIn as well on what I'm up to and some of the interviews that I'm doing, like this awesome one. Um, so I'm, I'm active there as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners tomorrow. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. MC Lobshire, the creator and host of The Cashflow Ninja and president of Producers Wealth. And I'm on a mission to help you achieve economic and financial freedom as quickly as possible. I achieve this by integrating the infinite banking concept with real estate investments to increase your efficiency and returns and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware of that you're losing. I share the number one strategy for investors in my holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.